Hello, friends, and welcome to Men Do Disney, episode number 85, Galaxy's Edge. My name is Pete, and joining me tonight are Matt. What's up, everybody? And Tom. Hey, how's everybody doing? We're three guys who want to help you make the most of your Disney World vacation, as well as to bring some of that Disney magic into your life every day. So put on your favorite pair of Mickey ears, lower your safety harness, remain seated until the ride has come to a complete stop, and men, let's do Disney. So Pete, we missed you last episode. Yeah. Didn't didn't sound like it. We did have a fun during the intro, kind of doing the uh, the patented Matt voice for when he's missing. But we did that for Pete for the first time ever. <laughs> Pete, have you ever missed an episode? Yeah, we were we were wondering. I I think that was the first. I think that was the first. Well, I think it's uh, only appropriate if Matt welcomes you back. There you, you go. Know what? You know what, Pete? We're so happy to have you back, man. Well, good. I appreciate it. Good to be back. So tonight, big episode. Huge episode. Exciting episode. We're going to be talking about Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. Not a Disneyland podcast. However, I think uh, we, we took a vote and we felt like the similarities between these two lands are going to be close enough that it's it's important to start and get all this information out there for what to expect for when Galaxy's Edge does open at Disney World. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and I mentioned it during the news segment on the episode you heard last week that I did, I did kind of tell you, hey, this episode was coming, but, and then we're not a Disneyland, Disneyland podcast, but this is so, uh, going to be so, so, so similar in Hollywood studios that I don't think we could call ourselves a Disney podcast without covering arguably the biggest news that Disney's had in the last decade. Yeah, man, if you've, if you've read any Disney website, any, listen to any Disney podcast, this is all anybody's talking about. So we would be remiss if we didn't join the party. And there's a lot of cool stuff here. So we're going to actually skip the news this week uh, and, and get right into it. Before we do, let's pause for just a minute to hear from our sponsor, Kingdom Strollers, and then we'll roll right into our Galaxy's Edge coverage. So your family is coming to Orlando. And the thought of lugging your stroller onto the plane isn't your idea of fun. But you're smart enough to know that conquering the theme parks of Orlando without a stroller for your kids could be a vacation killer. As parents ourselves, we get it. You're not asking for much. You just want the convenience of a clean, affordable stroller or crib delivered to your hotel or vacation home, ready to use. Welcome to Kingdom Strollers, a Disney-featured stroller and crib provider that does exactly what you're looking for at a great price. To book your stroller or crib, just click on the item you'd like to reserve and select the dates for your rental. We run a tight ship, so we will never overbook. Next, tell us where you're staying and choose the times for delivery and pickup. Then, choose from helpful free accessories like cooler bags and rain covers. It couldn't be easier. If you have any questions or concerns, you can check our FAQ page or just give us a call. We are always ready to answer your questions. Once you've placed your reservation, there's nothing left to do except count down the days until you're in sunny Florida. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead and book your stroller or crib from Kingdom Strollers today. Alright guys, well let's talk Galaxy's Edge. For those of you who have been living under a rock since, uh, what, 2015 when this was announced, this is the newest expansion to hit Disneyland and that is coming to Disney World. This, uh, this opened May 31st at Disneyland and will be opening the end of August at, uh, at Disney World. So we're unfortunately not going to see it on our, on our next trip. Tom, you, got, you guys' next trip is going to be before this opens as well, correct? Yeah, so it, we have an obnoxious amount of trips planned. Our next trip will be prior to Galaxy's Edge, and then the one following that will be after, you know, about a month after Galaxy's Edge had opened. So it'll be a couple Disney trips before before we get to experience it. Which is pretty cool because we're going to have a lot of first-hand takes on, you know, how, how this land inter- interacts with Disney Hollywood Studios, you know, obviously in Walt Disney World. Because I just had my brother-in-law over, and we were planning a trip for him and his his girlfriend. And they're going um, September 15th. Y'all are going to be right there at the forefront of this thing. Y'all are going to see all the lines. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried it's going to be a mess. I, I really am. Although, looking at the videos from Disneyland, with the reservation system, and, and currently this is in kind of limited access at Disneyland, Disney has a reservation system in place where when you buy a ticket, you, well, let me let me take a step back. They, all the slots are already filled up, I believe, for the next couple of weeks. But they assigned you a four-hour reservation window 
and, and that's when you get to go. You don't really have a choice. If you want to go see the land, that's that's when you get to go. No really telling what the system is going to be at Hollywood Studios yet. Disney is warning that access to Hollywood or to uh, Galaxy's Edge is going to be limited, but not really sure if they're going to have a similar reservation system, if it's just going to be... If you remember, Pandora was one in, one out for the longest time, and there would be three-hour queues just across that bridge and to get into Pandora. So maybe we see something like that going into Galaxy's Edge, or maybe they bring this reservation system to Disney World as well. Yeah, but they made it very clear when we were booking the trip tonight that, you know, access to Galaxy's Edge is going to be restricted, is going to be limited, everything that Pete said. And, you know, I just told him, like, look, you might not get there. You just have to understand these it's going to be bad. And look, Disney wants as many people as they can to see this land, right? I mean, they're not trying to keep people out, but they're limited by this, this the fact that this is a finite amount of space. And it's a big space. I don't know if you guys have seen the map of, of Disneyland or, or seen some of the uh, the videos of people walking around. This is a really big land. And it's going to be a really big land at, at Hollywood Studios as well. So there is a lot of space here, but again, there's only so much space and there's only so many people that can fit into this area. So no telling, again, how this is going to be limited yet at uh, at Hollywood Studios, but there certainly will be some kind of way. So what is Galaxy's Edge? I mean, do you want to go back to the the history of... of how it came about, or just dive right into the theme of the land? Yeah, I mean, we can we can kind of go back and talk about how it came about. I mean, it was announced 2015. I remember it like it was yesterday. I think, so I think that's the crazy thing. I mean, it, it seemed like it was forever away. I can even remember when we started the podcast, it was like every little bit of news we were clamoring to share, but it, even then it felt like it was forever away. So yeah, announced at D23 in 2015. Later, got the opening dates that we now can share with you. And if you've been to Hollywood Studios since we are kind of talk, we are Disney World podcast, you've noticed that they have started rearranging the park to get ready for Galaxy's Edge. I know Toy Story Land went in, and there was a lot of work done there. But the ultimate plan is how are they going to manage Galaxy's Edge? So you've seen Streets of America go go missing. You've seen Lights, Motors, Action, Stunt Show go away. You've seen the Backlot Tour go away, and the Honey I Shrunk the Kids set at Hollywood Studios also went away. For a little bit, we were worried about Muppets going away as they started pulling and pulling and pulling. Yeah, you know when they they've got I guess it's renamed Grand Avenue now that that's going to serve as an entrance to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which we'll see what it looks like here in a couple of weeks. My, the last time we were at Hollywood Studios, I was very nervous about this serving as one of the entrances to Galaxy's Edge because it seems like it's still a very narrow area. Now, weren't they weren't they working on widening that? They were working on widening it, and I think they've removed some stuff. So that's we'll we'll take a look at it when we get there in a couple of weeks and uh, and report back what it looks like. But who knows? So it, it is, again, it's a big area. It replaced a lot at Hollywood Studios. Uh, it replaced Big Thunder Ranch at Disneyland. So very large area that uh, that this land has taken over. One of the things that I love that they've done here is Star Wars Land is actually um, called Black Spire Outpost. It used to be a trading post inside the galaxy, but it's kind of fallen and faded off the map. And what I love about what they've done here is they've created a whole new story that no one knows about. So everyone going here for the first time, it's not like you're going to Jabba's Lair or you're going on the Death Star. I mean, you are basically, you know, where Hans got recruited to do, you know, missions in Star Wars. But, you know, obviously it's a different place. So Batuu was chosen because Disney wanted to be off the beaten path. And so that's where this is. Yeah. So this is on the planet of Batuu, which it was mentioned by Lando in the Han Solo movie, just briefly in passing. And that so that kind of ties it into the the Disney, uh, I guess, the Star Wars canon, if you will. But yeah, this was designed to be off the beaten path. Uh, and and the setting is current. I mean, as far as Star Wars films go, this is set between episodes eight and nine. So between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. And the reason that they've done this is so that they have the First Order and the Resistance both with a presence in the park. In, in fact, the park is kind of divided into two segments. You've got the the First Order village outpost, and then you've got a, a Resistance forest base kind of theme. So it's the land is really in two parts. You get to pick a side when you walk in. Is that correct? Or when does that choice kind, take place? Kind of. I would say kind of. my understanding is that your actions within Galaxy's Edge would dictate which side you fall more into. But I haven't been there. So, I mean, yeah, I guess in your head you could pick, I want to 
be evil, and that would kind of dictate your your destiny in Galaxy's Edge. The other cool thing here is that John Williams, who obviously wrote the music for all the Star Wars films today, did contribute a bunch of pieces specifically written for Galaxy's Edge. So it has its own music, and it's you know what you would expect from a Star Wars movie. And, and kind of the last thing I'll say about the theming here is that, and Tom, you said something about this on the last episode. It resembles Pandora in what what Disney is trying to do with the theming and the the immersion, but it takes it to the next level. And one of the ways that they do that, if you go to Pandora, you don't see even if you look at fast pass touch points, you don't see Mickey Mouse fast pass touch points. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is kind of that to the next level. There is really, as far as I've seen, no branding, no symbols, nothing to tie Galaxy's Edge back to the real world. It's it truly is its own park, even to the point, and we'll get to it eventually. And I we've we've hit it a couple of times on the on the podcast before of having the Coke and the Diet Coke and the Sprite and the Dasani bottles labeled in uh, in Arbesh. And and so you know that's just a a perfect example. You're not going to find Mickey Mouse. Well, I won't say that because there's hidden Mickey's everywhere. But you're not going to find Disney characters, Disney symbols in Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge, much the same way that Pandora is. I'll even go a step further. You know, we we talked about the theming that you see in Pandora, and what I was alluding to in the last episode was I think Pandora is just such a small area that Galaxy's Edge is going to be much much larger. And some of the characters that kind of roam will make you feel like you're on another planet from the immersion standpoint. But one of the funny things I noticed when you buy food there, just just the you know the popcorn that they sell in Galaxy's Edge, they won't even give you a a, a popcorn thing that has anything Disney on it. It's a brown paper bag, and that's just what you get because that's what they have. And and you know when you you go to build a lightsaber, they don't call it a lightsaber because of course the first order's around. So so they call it. They call it the scrapyard or or the scrap shop. You know, they're really, really, really in in character. And one of the cool things is talking about the characters walking around and not necessarily walking up and seeing Mickey or Goofy in this area. I actually saw a picture today on Twitter, and it was really cool. It was um, it was a child, and she was walking around the park. And this was like from someone just like us, you know, a park goer. And they were able to get a picture with Ray and Chewbacca. They just happened to be walking the same path at the same time. And they were able to talk to them. And obviously Chewie wasn't really speaking anything you could understand. But um, it was just like a really cool thing where you, you have the opportunity to walk into these people that are in, you know, like Pete talked about between, you know, episode eight and episode nine, which that's going to be really cool, I think. Well, the, and, and you, the cast members, the cast members have been told, hey, develop a backstory, figure out why you're here and, and be in character. And we'll talk about that when we get to Savi's workshop and the, and the lightsaber assembly what these cast members do and, and how they act. But the, the characters are, are something, yeah, I mean, you've got all kinds of Star Wars characters, Kylo Ren, you've got stormtroopers, first order stormtroopers walking around. Um, I think that's all going to carry over to, to Disney world, to, to Hollywood studios. Don't know definitively. I, I know that the trend has been Hollywood studios and Disney world in general always has character meet and greet spots. Disneyland typically has the roaming characters but I think to make this land feel alive, that, that a lot of that's going to carry over to Disney World. So be curious to see how that uh, how that plays out. But but let's go through the land. Let's go through what this land has to offer. This is Disney. So a lot of what is at Galaxy's Edge is shopping. I don't think there's any surprise here. Galaxy's Edge offers a, a huge, huge variety of Star Wars memorabilia and some cool experiences. So the first one I want to talk about is Savi's workshop, and this is the uh, the lightsaber assembly area. So like Tom said, this is located in kind of the First Order occupied area of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So they can't advertise this as Jedi build your own lightsaber because the First Order is not, uh, not, a, not a huge fan of that, obviously. So they do. They, they advertise this as kind of a junk shop. Oh, you're looking for spare parts. In fact, it's it's difficult to find this place because there's not really a sign. There's just a little blue banner that points you to uh, to where you go in. But this experience is hugely popular. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, so from, from what we've gathered, right now especially, no guarantee. You're gonna you're gonna you get a reservation at Disneyland, still is going to be a wait. I know for the media event, even there was still about a fifteen or twenty minute wait just to get in. 
Uh, you, you paid in advance and you waited outside. And once you get in, I believe it's a 20 to 30 minute experience of building your own lightsaber. Now, I will go ahead and tell you, there's, there's another shop I'm sure will hit where you can buy one already built. But I think the building, and, and, it's, and it's, it's expensive. Did you mention, the, you know, $199 plus tax? To, to build your own lightsaber. So, well, from from what I've seen, this process from the time that you get there during your reservation. So, when you pay, you get a reservation. So, from the time you get there, it's about a two hour to a two and a half hour experience, and that includes about two hours of waiting. So, yeah, that's that's the that's the negative part. If you are going in Disneyland right now with the reservation, you're spending this is half your time. This is half your time. I gotta be honest. I'm be a little upset if I can't find anybody from the resistance to point me in the right direction. Because if they're in character and it's hard to find, and I have a reservation, I'm gonna be booking it. So, again, it's Disney, so it's not. I'm just it's, making you're, a joke. You're I'm not gonna be joke. blind going in, but um, but yeah, two two to two and a half hour time. So if you've got a four hour reservation window, I mean that that eats up a significant amount of your time in Galaxy's Edge. So. And, and the reason for that is I think there's only 14 people that can build lightsabers at a time. And everybody's allowed one guest who's not building. And that's just to keep the numbers down. So the problem with that is you've got a family of five and only one person is going to do it. I mean, that's three people that have to sit out. And, and I will say children under the age of 12 have to be supervised by an adult. So you can't, you can't send your kid to go do this under 12 and you not accompany, you know, pay for it and then send them in. You have to go in with them. Uh, because there is a little bit of a build process. It's pretty simple, and there are cast members there to help you. But you know, you're kind of you choose the theme of the lightsaber you'd like to build. Uh, of course, they could they could tell you characters who had X theme, and if you're trying to be like a character, and then the the coolest thing to me is the kyber crystals that they have, because these kyber crystals can be put in other things as well, not just the lightsaber. But that's going to dictate the color of your lightsaber, uh, and it snaps into the hilt. Again, pretty easy assembly. Disney is there to walk you through it. They're not going to let you break your lightsaber as you're putting it together. And then there's tons of accessories as well that, that you can customize to make your lightsaber what you want. And then finally, they insert it into a machine which turns it on, I guess, or activates it would probably be a better way to, to word that. Yeah, and, and really what it's doing is it's attaching because these are detachable blades. These are not, you know, you typically see a lightsaber, it's got an extendable blade. These are detachable blades. And so everybody puts their, puts their lightsaber into a machine. It attaches the blades and they all light up. They dim the lights and they all light up at once. There's a little ceremony type thing that goes along with it. It's a, it's a cool experience. It's the presentation of it. I mean, it's, it's, it could it's be, just like getting a wand at Harry Potter and yes. Wizarding World of Harry Potter. I think that, except, I think except has, what, five times as expensive? Yeah. And I think Disney has finally captured the rival to the wand because in, in uh, Pandora, it, I can't, I'm losing what, hmm? They had the banshees. Yeah, the banshees. Yeah, the banshees. Were not, were they just never quite. really. I mean, they're cool, but I haven't heard about them in a while. Being relevant or popular, and you still see them around the parks, but not not anywhere near what you see at Wizarding World of Harry Potter with people walking around with wands. Right. Right. So, and, and from everything that I've heard about these lightsabers, everything we've seen, these are pretty high quality. Everything but the hilt is is metal, so they're really heavy duty. They come with a, a padded carrying case, and you can get some other accessories for them. I think they do allow you to have lightsaber duels within reason in the parks. Um, and, and so, yeah, the, the kyber crystals do have other uses. You can put them into holocrons. You can mix and match your, your kyber crystals. It'll dictate the color of your blade. All the kyber crystals, I think, are cut differently. So each one is kind of unique. And that also dictates the noises that the, that the lightsaber makes. So... Overall, a pretty cool process. I don't know if it's worth it being the first one to do this because if you've got four hours in Galaxy's Edge, it's going to cost you two hundred bucks and, and fully half of your time in Galaxy's Edge. So maybe I'm coming back to it's something that I'd like to do, but maybe I'm coming back to this eventually. You know, and and switch changing gears because you know we've talked about the price of the lightsaber, and now we'll go ahead and talk about the Droid Depot. The Droid was way cooler than I thought it was going to be. I, I kind of knew the lightsaber would be what it is, and, and it is pretty much what I expected it to be. The droid is just... the the, the so, so to back it up, I guess, there's a droid depot as well in Galaxy's Edge. Same concept, right? You're going to build your own droid. It's $100 or $99 plus tax to build your droid. And there 
is kind of a conveyor belt that you collect the droid parts. So you, you determine if you want to do a, a BB droid or an R2 droid. And that dictates which parts you're going to pull off this conveyor belt, what colors you want, what what side, what style. It's totally customizable. Which droid are you going to do? Because I know which one I'm going with. I don't know yet. I, it, if, if, I, if I do build one, it'll be a game time decision. I, I think I got to go R2. R2. R2 all day. R2 all day. But BB-8 is so freaking cool. Watching, watching these get built after you take them off the conveyor, and again, if you're not into spoilers, don't go to YouTube and type in Galaxy's Edge because you'll find this stuff pretty quickly. It was re- it's really cool how easily they're put together, but how sturdy they are. I mean, it, you're, they are expensive, but they're legit. And so kind of walking you through the process here, again, I've mentioned the customization that's available. There are personality chips that are not required to buy, but that would change who, the, who your droid would communicate with within the, you know, whether it's neutral, whether it's first order resistance. And it, it also changes like the noises and the pitch of the noises that, that your droid will make. And these droids do interact with each other. So if you have a couple of droids with personality chips, they will interact with each other. Yeah. And I think one of the coolest things, you know, I saw is after someone built their droid, they mentioned the personality chips, which I think were twelve ninety nine dollars or, or nineteen ninety nine something like that per chip. And they said, regardless, as you walk around the park and you keep your droid in your carrying case, as you get near other droids, it'll start to move around like it's alive and it'll communicate. So that that's just unbelievable to me. I mean, the price isn't that bad considering like this past Christmas when they were like showing BB-8s all over the place. And you go to Target or, you know, Walmart, you spend $55 on one of these little droids that probably, you know, you remember when you were a little kid and you got like the RC car or whatever it was called, like you had the remote control car. And those are okay, but that's this is like 10 times better than that. Well, and again, you get you get the kind of build experience. Once you've built your droid, there is an, a little activation. I, I wouldn't say it's as in depth as the as the lightsaber one, but there is kind of a you put it in a special box and you press a button and and it activates. So there is kind of an activation thing, but um, but there are also all kinds of accessories that you can buy for these droids to really make them your own. They're all available for for extra purchase at the Droid Depot. They've got accessory panels, attachments, decals, all that kind of stuff that you can add on to these droids. So yeah, cool experience. I don't, I haven't really seen anything on wait times for this, like I have with the lightsaber. So what I've seen, people were just walking in and building them. That's kind of what I thought. Because it's, but I, I could be wrong because I may have just seen a media event where it wasn't as flooded. But it seemed like you met with a, you just kind of grabbed the basket and started, fit, and a Disney cast member said, which which style do you want to build? And then they just kind of pointed out, well, you're looking for this then. And it's, it doesn't seem, it's not as extensive as a lightsaber to me. It's a quicker build. It's, it's, it's an easier decision, I think. And it's less expensive, which for the parents that are listening, you know, I, if you're walking out of here with one of them, obviously try to convince the, the less expensive one of it's something your kid will enjoy no matter what. So yeah, those are the droid or lifesaver. Droid. I, don't get, I mean, droid might be it. You know, the, the craziest thing I saw was the $25,000 R2-D2 R2 life-size yeah. droid that has a remote yeah. controller you can buy. And and in Galaxy's Edge, it would not be dollars; it would be credits. So that so so parents, when you hear them and they say it's two hundred credits, that's just understand that's two hundred dollars. So those are really the two main stores at Galaxy's. I guess the two main experience type stores. There are a lot of other stores there, and just to go through them quickly: uh, Resistance Supply, Rise of the Resistance is not open yet, but Resistance Supply, which is kind of the exit store for the ride, is just a couple of stalls where you can get Resistance gear, shirts pins, models of ships. I even saw uh, Resistance MREs, which is I thought was kind of weird. Like, why would you sell MREs at a Disney park? But regardless, they've also got the uh, the creature stall, which has some cool stuff. Now, this is a lot more akin to the uh, to the Banshees at Pandora, the world of Avatar, particularly the, uh, the monkey lizard thing. You guys remember the little guy that sat on Jabba the Hutt's shoulder in Return of the Jedi, right? Yes. So you can buy these I want to say they're like $70. They sit on your shoulder just like the Banshees do. They make that annoying high-pitched laugh. I guarantee you, if you go to Galaxy's Edge, you're going to hear this all over All the, the time. All the time. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be hilarious for the first five minutes. And then after that, oh, gosh. But they interact with other monkey lizard things. Uh, you can also get the Porgs from 
Last Jedi. One second, one second, one second. I got to give a, um, a shout out to our friends at the Disney at Distance podcast. If you don't listen to them, you don't know how big the deal Porgs are, but Porgs are a really big deal. So I know that they're pretty pumped up for this. No, well, there you go. Uh, you can also buy Rathtars, and these are mini Rathtars. These are not the uh, the ones that Han Solo had carry. He was carrying around with him, uh, and you can also get some Tauntauns and some Wampas and some other creatures from Hoth. So that's the creature stall. Between thirty and seventy dollars is kind of the price point that you're looking at for these. Uh, what else? You've got the Toydarian Toy Maker, which if you guys have seen Phantom Menace, uh, Watto, which is the little guy that owned. Anakin Skywalker, who was a slave in the movie, was a Toydarian. So same species of alien. And these are toys. They've got Star Wars dolls. They've got some games. You can all, you can actually buy Sabacc, which is a Star Wars card game. You can buy the chess set from the Millennium Falcon. Which will be a hot, hot ticket item. Absolutely. Yep. And then you can actually also buy the musical instruments from like the cantina scene in A New Hope. So they have musical instruments in there too. That's pretty They've cool. Got like, That's an iconic yeah. scene. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. They've got little, it's kind of hard to explain, but they're like little wooden blocks that you scrape on. They're shaped like frogs. They're little musical instruments. They've got those in there. So some cool stuff in there. Now this this next store, which is Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities, this looks like the expensive store. So if you go to Magic Kingdom, what's the store that has all the like crystal in it? I don't the, the store yeah. the store that you go in and you know there's nothing under five hundred dollars in there. Well, they sell some toothpick holders in there that you can get for like twenty. But yeah, I'm with you. I totally agree. And I've seen this store and I I'm right I'm right there with you. This is where you would get the pre built lightsabers I was mentioning earlier. So you could buy Luke Skywalker's uh, lightsaber. You could buy Darth Vader. I, I think I saw a Darth Maul lightsaber in there actually too. Uh, but just think of iconic characters. I think they're like $115 or $150 it, or something, it something like that. It actually varies depending on the popularity of the character. It seemed like I saw some upwards of $199, and I saw some at like $105. So if you don't want, if you don't care to do the – like if you, if you walk into the Galaxy Edge saying, I want a Luke Skywalker you know, lightsaber, don't do the customized one. Just go here and buy it. I will say as well that when we talk about this shop, we have it in our show notes as Unique Galactic Artifacts. So when you hear all those three words together, it's not going to be cheap at all. Well, and, you know, like like Tom said, they've got lightsabers here. This is where you can buy the kyber crystals, the the extra kyber crystals. I think that's probably going to be the cheapest thing here is is kyber crystals for your lightsaber. But they also have like a lot of busts, like just a lot of character heads. I think I saw a Darth Maul character head that was probably four hundred dollars. Uh, and then finally, last store is Black Spire Outfitters. This is where you're going to get all of your Star Wars costume pieces. I don't understand this because if you're over 14 years old, you cannot wear costumes in the park. But they're selling like legitimate Jedi costumes here. Like you could buy, you could dress up like Rey. You could buy all of Rey's clothes here. And this stuff is not cheap either. It's sold by the piece. So you can buy a robe, you can buy a hood, you can buy like arm wraps, and everything's like thirty or fifty or seventy dollars. The robe I saw earlier that it kind of reminded me of what Kylo Ren would wear two hundred and fifty dollars. God, now I'm not saying that I wouldn't buy it. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of people that want that, and you know, you're gonna have the best Halloween costume every year because you're gonna wear it every year if you pay for it. But yeah, I mean, I get what Pete's saying. Like, you know, you're gonna want to wear it if you're in Star Wars land. You know, you're gonna want to wear it, but. It is what it is. I need to get some clarification from Disney because I actually thought you could wear the robes as full adults in, in Galaxy's Edge. And you may be able to. I mean, a, a robe is a robe a costume. I mean, what's the definition of a costume? And look, if I'm spending $250 on a robe at a Disney park, you, you, you better bet that I'm going to be wearing that robe the rest of the day and probably the rest of my trip. All right. So, well, that's pretty much all of the stores that, that I wanted to hit. Moving on to the food. Really, before we get into the food, the, the comment I want to make about the food is that you can really tell that Disney has learned a lot from Pandora with, with these restaurants and the type of food. When, when you look at the quick service restaurants that are at every other Disney park that are, you know, at Magic Kingdom, that are at Epcot, Epcot to a lesser degree, but they're very, I don't want to say boring, but they're very boring. What Disney has done with Pandora and what Disney has done with Galaxy's Edge 
is pretty much let their food guys just go crazy. Everything is very creative. It's not like they took a hamburger and named it a galactic hamburger, right? You you don't see that on the menu there. So every everything is really inventive. They use a lot of ingredients that you wouldn't typically see in the theme parks. I think it's really cool. Now, some of it fails, unfortunately, but I still think it's a great trend. And I think it's really the right direction for, for food and beverages to go in, in these theme parks. Well, the thing is, if if... If you're if you take your kid and they're in that stage where they're only going to eat a burger and fries or chicken strips and fries or whatever it may be theme park food wise, the good thing is there are places in Hollywood Studios where you can go. You don't have to eat lunch in Galaxy's Edge. Now, if your reservation is from ten to two, yeah, you're you're probably stuck eating food in Galaxy's Edge. And there is some more basic food items, but I will tell you the snacks and the drinks. I mean, you can get a water, right? And you can get a soda, but a lot of it is, it's it's just messing with your taste buds. It's some, it's it's otherworldly, like it's supposed to be. You're in another planet. It's supposed to be otherworldly. Well, so let's, okay, let's talk about Ronto Roasters, which is a quick, a small, quick service. I mean, it's a restaurant, but it's not, it's not a full menu. There's, it's a very limited menu. So their breakfast menu is like, what, three things? Yeah, it's something like that. So they've got this Ronto morning wrap and they've got overnight oats. Okay, this morning wrap is literally sausage, eggs, and cheese on a pita. But it's not a tip it's not your typical breakfast sausage. It's a little bit different. It's got a peppercorn sauce on it. It looks a little unique. So it's still familiar, but it's different enough that it that it fits in with the theming of this land. Now, what I will what I will say about every one of these restaurants is they are absolutely immaculately themed you, you couldn't you couldn't walk into these restaurants and, and tell you hadn't been transported to another world where i will compare to give you a reference point for how these restaurants look go to satuli canteen and look up and you would see how the avatars sleep you know their little bungalows same exact thing here anywhere you look it is not going to be disney did not waste any space on the theming these restaurants, from the floor to the bathroom to up top, I mean, everything is exactly how you would want it to be themed. So Ronto Roasters is, again, a couple of meals, very quick, a couple of unique drinks. Uh, they're all non-alcoholic blends of teas and fruit juices and that kind of thing. You know, pretty simple fare. The restaurant's worth going in just to see. Uh, moving on, Katsaka's Kettle, which we've mentioned before, this does not have mobile ordering. And I think this is the one place that doesn't have mobile ordering, but, uh, this is a popcorn stand, but again, it's a themed popcorn stand. It looks ridiculous, but this is where you can get, what's it called? Oh yeah. You're talking about like the outpost mix? Outpost mix. Yeah. This is where you can get the outpost mix. And this is where you can also get the specialty Cokes and Dasani. The outpost mix is like the popcorn. Right? Yeah, and I haven't heard great things about the Outpost mix. But I think we're okay with that. It makes me sad because, like, everything that, you know, when I talked to Pete and Tom, they said this this area looks, I mean, this this place looks amazing, but the food isn't that great upon review. But I think, Tom, like what you talked about earlier, like, the food should be different a little bit. Like, this should be like you're in a different world and, you know, kind of acquire taste. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, like Pete said, Sometimes Disney tries to get creative and the masses just don't like it. They want something basic. And unfortunately, the food gets taken out. But if I just hope if I hope if the reviews are bad for the Outpost Mix, which is like a blend of fruity pebbles, but <laughs> but like cinnamon and gray, and just like a weird taste, they either they either just tweak it slightly. Don't just put standard popcorn in there. There's, there's standard popcorn all over Hollywood Studios. People can walk through the Galaxy's Edge and shoot and just not get a snack at that point if they don't want it. There's going to be enough people that like the food. I happen to enjoy going to Pandora and getting something I could not get anywhere else in Disney World. It's the same thing like when you go through the World Showcase. You get something that you can't get anywhere else in the U.S. because you're in that country's pavilion, and you may not like it, but you at least tried it. So, yeah, yeah I, the, the, out, the Outpost Mix looks weird, too. I'll, I'll give it. I'll say that, too. I mean, it looks like brightly fruity-colored popcorn. I <laughs> See, I think that's cool. I think that's cool, but, I mean, that's just me. I'm probably going to hate the taste of it and be like, Ugh, throw it away, throw it away. Well, who knows? And but you do you you can get it in the um the cool bucket that's uh that's shaped like a repair droid. That's probably a little extra than the brown paper bag. It certainly is. It's twenty dollars. Yeah, because so, you can get it in a brown paper bag too. 
So that's Katsaka's kettle. Again, no mobile ordering, but you can get the uh, the themed Cokes here. Kind of the main restaurant, I guess, the main quick service restaurant at Galaxy's Edge is Docking Bay 7. So to give you an idea, this is themed as, and this is located right, pretty much right next to Smuggler's Run, which I think is in Docking Bay 9. But um, so this is Docking Bay 7. And the theme of this restaurant is you've got an alien who has just arrived with a freighter loaded with fresh supplies. And he is serving these fresh supplies out of uh, out of this docking bay. Again, this is the main quick service location. It's got some unique food. Breakfast is pretty much the same as what you would get at Ronto Roasters. Same sausage, there's some eggs. One of the things that I saw that looked kind of cool was the uh, Mustafarian lava roll, which is a croissanti cinnamon roll with what looks like Oreo cookies crumbled on top. I bet it's 100% sugar and 100% bad for you. But but some of the lunch offerings that they had, I, I know that I've talked about ribs with a blueberry corn muffin and, and slaw before. They've got a lot of vegetarian options, like a noodle salad, just a lot of unique offerings. I think really the ribs, the fried tippy-up, which is like the crispy chicken, and then the, the tippy-up salad would all be good. And then they've got pot roast uh, that, that they serve for dinner. They've got... Um, Actually, a plant-based meatloaf, which doesn't look doesn't look terrible. So, talking about the the, the meatloaf or our garden loaf, is that what it's called? It's called garden loaf, right? I think it's garden loaf. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's not for me. I'd probably get the pot roast uh, that for the dinner options versus the garden loaf. But I will tell you, Satuli Canteen kind of surprised me because I looked at that menu from afar and didn't want to eat there. And when we went, my wife. A little bit, you know, definitely a healthy eater, much healthier than I am. And that looked refreshing to her. I think it's the way she described it. And I think it's the best quick service restaurant at Disney World. So maybe I would be surprised by the garden loaf. I think it's just a little bit different food than, than what you would typically get. Again, they're they're trying to be a little bit more creative. They're experimenting with presentation a little bit here. They're trying some different things. So, you know, now what really stands out to me and what really looks kind of cool are the desserts. They've, they've got these... Uh, Let's see. They've, they've got all these unique desserts. To me, the Batu Bon, which, which is a bonbon that has like a galaxy swirl looking thing on top, looks the best. And it's, I mean, again, it's chocolate cake, mousse, and custard. But the presentation is what really sells it. It really makes you feel like, you, you know, an alien could have cooked this food. I, and that's, I agree. I guess that's what Satuli Canteen, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple food, right? It's potato hash and sliced beef. But the presentation, the way it's cooked, it just, it, it makes it better. It fits in with the theme. And I think this food does well. Now, how it tastes, we've heard differing opinions on that. It may leave something to be desired. But again, I, I think this is a very positive thing that, that Disney's doing with these new expansions. Now, the next topic I want to talk about is what I've been itching to talk about the entire time. The milk stand. There is... I don't know if... I don't remember knowing that there was going to be green milk. I knew there'd be blue milk. Well, the green milk came from The Last Jedi when Luke Skywalker literally milked it out of a alien creature and, and took a big swig of it. So we have so we have blue and green milk for you. I don't remember that scene, but I'm sure the Star Wars lovers do. Uh, oh, it's in there. I can I can guarantee you it's in so there. So we have blue and green milk again. I have I have heard I don't even want to say bad reviews because I think everyone's excited to try it. I will 100 percent buy one of them probably i probably won't buy both to try I'll, I'll just buy one i've heard the green milk is better really see i've heard i've heard that they're both pretty bad but that the green is worse is, doesn't one of them have like a uh a free again like a milk and fruity pebbles taste i i think i think they're both i think the blue milk is like a so the the one complaint that i've had is that these are not it's not true milk and to take a step back obviously this is disney trying to develop a butterbeer right because that has been a huge seller for Universal. When I went to the studios in London where they filmed all the Harry Potter movies, they had butterbeer there. So, of course, I bought butterbeer. Why would I not? So, this is Disney trying to develop a butterbeer. But this is non-dairy, So, which which is fair because who really wants to drink milk when it's 100 degrees outside? But there, it's a blend of coconut and rice milk. And I think that turns a lot of people off because it's not creamy. I mean, like you would expect it to be. Okay, people need to get over themselves. I mean, it's so they're trying to create something that's not real. But I've heard that the taste is just not good. That it's it's sweet. So you wouldn't buy it. 
No, I, I'm not saying that at all. I would 100% buy it. I've just heard not great things about it. I've heard that it's kind of flopped. And plus, when you go to the Leaky Cauldron and you buy a butterbeer at, ha- at at Harry Potter, like that's an experience, right? The milk stand, you literally walk up, they slosh it out of a out of a faucet into a cup, and it's a dollar more than butterbeer is. Yeah, it's expensive. It's, if we didn't say it, it's $8, $8 per glass. And what I've seen... Most people have bought both the blue and green. And, and they don't finish either of them. they don't one. finish either of them. That's why I said I would only, I'd probably split one with my wife. And if we don't like it, we'd throw it away. But at least we're not each buying a drink we don't, you know, and if, and if one of us really likes it, we'll go get another one. But at least we're not each buying an $8 drink. That's why I would, if you're a family, if you're a family of four or whatever, get get one let everyone taste it. Based on the reviews I've seen, I doubt that your fan, you know, maybe one out of four of you will like it and that person just gets to have it. But I recommend going, you have to do blue milk, but I'm going to get the green. I mean, I'm going to get the green milk. And these are served frozen. Now you can get a just chilled version at uh, Oga's Cantina, but, but I think, I think that's even worse. That sounds worse. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds worse. So, I, but again, I think here's the thing. This is going to be huge. Everybody's going to want to try this, right? But I don't think people are going to be, I mean, butterbeer is actually good. I don't think people are going to be coming back for seconds and thirds of, uh, of blue and green milk. Oh man, I just can't get the chilled version out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might as well move to Oga's Cantina since you mentioned it. Yeah. I mean, this is the big, big kahuna. And for Disneyland, this is the first place at Disneyland that will have alcohol or that has alcoholic beverages. So this is the only place in Disneyland that you can go and get a drink. Now they do have non-alcoholic uh, non-alcoholic drinks as well. Again, the chilled blue milk is one of them. It comes with a uh, it comes with a cookie. The cookie I've heard is good. Blue milk leaves a little bit to be desired because it's not frozen, it's just cold. I will tell you over this week over the weekend I did hear they ran out of the cookies and people didn't they didn't just want the, the blue milk. <laughs> and so they they were not selling many blue banthas. After the cookies sold out. So do you want to talk about some of the food at Oga's Cantina? Well, really the only food items at Oga's Cantina. Have you seen pictures of all of Well, we've already hit the overnight oats. Same, same yeah, thing. Yeah, we already, we already talked about the overnight oats and the lava roll. These are both offered. Uh, the overnight oats and is at Ronto Roasters and at Docking Bay 7. The lava rolls at Docking Bay 7. The Batu mix looks really interesting. I heard it's terrible. Really? I have, And I have seen it, and the person that I saw eating it was picking around it and just couldn't quite find any of it that was good. But he but he did say, extremely interesting. Like, you wanted it to taste one way, but it always tasted another way. So, I mean, it's it's bar mix, right? But it's kind of a unique bar mix. It's just, I think it's a weird and I think there's dried, I think there's dried fish in it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. People are, probably, people are probably getting sick when they leave Ogus Cantina. Dried fish and blue milk and a cookie. <laughs> but, hey, you asked for Galaxy's Edge and you asked for immersiveness and you got it, right? You are... <laughs> you did. You are eating you something you'll never find somewhere else. So, going over to the drinks, uh, they, they do have a variety of alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks. The, uh, the non-alcoholic drinks are, you know, blends of fruit juices, nothing too exciting. They do have a, uh, a souvenir cup, a souvenir porg mug that you can get your cliff dweller in and uh, that is $22 including the drink which isn't a bad price for a for a souvenir mug. They also have I don't know if you saw this Oga's obsession which is like candy in jello. I did and it it, it, <laughs> it looked weird. But I I heard this was okay. Yeah, I mean if you like candy and jello like <laughs> I guess if that, that's up your alley, sure, why not. The the alcoholic drinks are, are kind of what piqued my interest here, particularly the fuzzy tauntaun, which I've heard kind of tingles on its way down. This is this isn't our listeners are going to be so confused. We've never described anything like this because we've never seen anything like this. So <laughs> we're just we're giving it to you raw here. But but you also can get a souvenir cup with the alcoholic drink with the yub nub, uh, and and it's a tiki mug pretty much. They either were not going to sell them this weekend or they ran out of them. But I'm sure they ran out. I, I know on some of the stuff I read that, that all it was mentioned was you could not get them. So I don't know if that means that Disney wasn't quite releasing them yet or they sold out really quickly. And, and that is $42 with the mug, which is 
Yeah, a little bit, a little bit pricey, well, but it, it looks not... like something you would get from Trader Sam's. Like the drink looks like a Trader Sam's drink, and the mug looks like a tiki mug. So. Well, I mean, at Trader Sam's, you're paying something like that with the mug. So, I mean, it's that's True. that's market value. But th- the next one you're going to talk about, I think, as I, this is the I would buy this the the seventy five dollar beer flight. I would totally buy this, and not for the I mean, whatever the the beer that's fine, but the serving board that it comes with that you get to keep. Is amazing looking. It's literally like a carved wooden board with four Rancor teeth in it, and and you, the drinks come in the teeth. Seventy five bucks. Well, plus you get the beer flight, which is probably twenty. So what? So you're buying? So so you're spending seventy five there. Are you going to buy a droid too and a lightsaber? I'm I'm not saying Galaxy's Edge is going to be cheap, Tom. I'm not saying that at all. Here's a question for you. I would assume I, this is totally out of the blue. Your Magic Band would still work to make purchases in Galaxy's Edge, right? I certainly hope not. Because it's gonna be a it's gonna be a bad thing if it does. Yeah, well, I just know magic bands you can get you can get a little crazy spending. You would imagine they would. It just wouldn't be the Mickey sim. It wouldn't be the Mickey symbol you're putting the magic band up against. I think so. Okay, I think you're right. Yeah. So so galaxy so Disney, if you're listening, just go ahead and fly Pete out to Galaxy's Edge. I promise you'll make more money getting him out there than you will uh, that, that once he gets there than you'll spend on traveling him out there. You know, and I I just realized I think I. Uh... I think I screwed something up. I think we said the, the uh, well, I guess the Blue Bantha does come with a cookie. Something else comes with the cookie, too. I'm not sure which one it is, but something else comes with a cookie. I think it's a Bloody Rancor that comes with a cookie also, which is a Bloody Mary. So, but if you want alcohol, this is where you're going to Ogus Cantina. Three drink limit per uh, per guest. And I think they limit the amount of time you can spend in here, too. As far as the theming goes, the comparison that I make to with Ogus Cantina is it looks like the cantina and Mos Eisley in A New Hope. It's got kind of a central bar. It's got like little quiet tables where you can see Han Solo shooting Greedo. Like that's the kind of atmosphere. It looks kind of seedy. Great theming. It looks absolutely awesome. Yep. Totally agree. Is it time to move to the, what, what some would call the uh, e-ticket attractions here, the big ticket items? I think so. I think so. Let's, Let's talk about the ride that is not open first, and that is Rise of the Resistance. I don't think they've announced officially when this is going to open, have they? I, If they have, I don't have it in front of me, and, I, and it slipped my mind. I don't think they have. But I think, I think to, and this has nothing to do with the fact that I'm uh, pretty aware of Smuggler's Run. I always assumed Smuggler's Run was going to be the bigger attraction. I was incorrect. Rise of Resistance will be the bigger attraction of the two. I think Smuggler's Run... We'll, we'll have no problem holding a five-hour wait because it is the Millennium Falcon and so many people can relate to it. But Rise of the Resistance, again, 28-minute attraction experience. So I've heard that, but I've also heard that has been said not true by Imagineers, that it's not going to be that long. But if you look at Flight of Passage, I mean, by the by the time you get through both the pre-shows, I mean, that's, that's about a 30-minute experience. So it, it could be including the pre-shows. Disney's doing more of this with their bigger, newer attractions. You know, go 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 ride Flight of Passage, for example. There's two pre I mean, there's two 10-minute pre-shows, which kind of sl- slows you down. But Rise of the Resistance, 300 animated objects, largest show building ever designed. Uh, maybe Guardians of the Galaxy will end up being bigger, but so far, this is what we've got. And then it's a trackless, eight-person ride vehicle. It'll cover a range of experiences, dark rides, drops, it's it's going to be ridiculous, but it's not yet open. Did not open with the opening date of Galaxy's Edge. It is a delayed opening in Disneyland, and it will be a delayed opening in Disney World as well. And you can read a walkthrough of the ride if if you if you Google it. We're not going to talk about it here, but it, I've read it. It sounds amazing. You know, I'll say that you are in a Star Destroyer at one point. There is a full size AT-AT Walker at one point. I mean, it's. This is this is going to be beyond the scale of anything Disney's ever done before. So really, really looking forward to this. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about Star Wars Land and everything that's happening is the rides are going to be immersive and they're going to be crazy and they're going to be something like you've never experienced before. And like we always talk about, we're not a Disneyland podcast. We're not a Universal podcast, but we are a Walt Disney World podcast. And I'm just going to say every other lands, every other, you know, universe, every other theme park is going to step it up after this because it's going to be ridiculous. You want to talk a little bit about Smuggler's Run? Yeah. And, and let's not get into too much detail about the ride itself, the ride experience. But, you know, we can we can go through the lead up to it and, and what the ride itself is. 
as far as the ride itself, I think the best way that I can describe it is it's a combination of Star Tours, Flight of Passage, Toy Story Midway Mania, uh, kind so of, and, and Mission Space. I would say Star Tours, Flight of Passage, and Mission Space would sum it up for me. But you've also got the gunner aspect in there, too. Well, and, and yeah. In Mission in mission Space, though, you fire some stuff, too. That's true. That's true. But this is more this is more live gunner. You are actually shooting the gun. So the kind of the theme of the ride is that Chewbacca has flown the Millennium Falcon to Batuu and has landed it in this docking bay. And Hondo Onaka is using it. He's trying to get, Chewbacca's trying to get parts for the Millennium Falcon. So he is allowing Hondo Onaka to use the Millennium Falcon for his own purposes. And that's kind of where you come in. You're actually going to fly the Millennium Falcon and operate the Millennium Falcon. So when you when you walk up to this ride, it's it's hard to miss because immediately the first thing that you see is this huge life-size model. Or, I mean, you see the Millennium Falcon. It's a huge scale Millennium Falcon prop. It looks it looks amazing. It looks exactly like you would expect it to. You know, and it doesn't the the thing that struck me about it is when you look at it, it doesn't look new, right? It doesn't look like it's a freshly installed prop at a Disney park. It looks like the Millennium Falcon should. It looks beat up. It looks used. Well, and and think about it. Remember on an episode I mentioned when Disney was laying the cement paths throughout Galaxy's Edge, they were rolling real droids over the wet cement to make it look like a town that had been traveled in. So it makes total sense to me that they somehow made wear and tear on the Millennium Falcon look realistic. And I will tell you, you will not get a spoiler at all if you just Google Millennium Falcon Disneyland. If you just want to see an image of it, it looks ridiculous. It is a life-size version of the Millennium Falcon, and Disney will be using it moving forward in their movies as the prototype of because it's, it's the first life-size Millennium Falcon we have. So the queue, you go in, and, and really the, the first part of the queue is you're walking back and forth around the, not around the Millennium Falcon, but you walk back and forth. You see it from different angles. You get above it at one point. So you really get a good look at the Millennium Falcon. You walk back and forth between a bunch of sh- a switchbacks. And then you get into the pre-show area. And this is where Hondo Onaka explains what's going on. This animatronic is absolutely ridiculous. Disney killed it on this one. It is very similar to the uh, Navi River Journey animatronic. It looks 100% like a person in costume. I was watching a video and my wife asked if it was a person in costume. It is that convincing. It's it's think uh, flight of pat think um oh, I hate to mention this attraction but think Navi River Journey if you want a, uh, an idea of what the how realistic the animatronic moves. So, so at this point everybody Navi River Journey on steroids. No, it, this ride is nothing like this Navi ride River. is nothing like Navi River Navi Journey. Navi River Journey should be taken out back and shot. I was just talking, I was just talking about the animatronic. Like yes. Easy, yeah. So on steroids there. Yes. Yeah, it's very, very realistic. And, and hopefully it works all the time. It's an animatronic, so I mean, it, it'll probably have its failures at some point. It's good days and it's bad months. So at this point, everybody is assigned one of three roles in the Millennium Falcon. And uh, from what I've seen in the videos, they just kind of ask, hey, who wants to be the pilot? Who wants to be the gunner? Who wants to be the engineer? Now, single rider line is always going to be the left engineer, unless they can switch with the uh, with somebody else that they're riding with. So unfortunately, if you're going to single rider this line, you're going to be confined to one role, which is kind of the crappiest, least thought out. I was going to say that. So the engineer does some harpooning of supplies and repairs. And I have not that, not that you're not actually doing it because you are, but what I've heard without giving too many spoilers away is you would rather be the pilot or the gunner. Both of them have, I want to be the right pilot because I want to pull back the levers to go into hyperspace. Yeah, what he's talking about is the right pilot does the up and down, and the left pilot steers right and left. And I will say that from what I've heard, it's very interactive, even if you don't know the people in there, because especially in the pilot's role, everyone can kind of see how you're doing flying. So And everybody's yelling at you to, to where to go. and Right. I mean, it really is like the world's biggest video game. What this actually reminds me of is I've done a, an escape room before when it was just me, a friend, and four other randos. But we had the most fun in the world because like there were no pretension there. there was, everyone was just trying to get out, and you actually worked together as a team. 
So I think they're going to do a really good job here. Because what else are you going to do? You're not going to get mad at your friend and hold a grudge. You're like, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. I think that's, yeah, kind of what you're hearing. I mean, the, the people are just yelling at you to steer upright, whatever it may be. And that's fun because that, that really would get me into it. And, you know, I, I have, I have done an old, I've done an old ride point of view and I'm not, we're not going to talk about that at all, but I will tell you, I've been very impressed with what I've seen so far. So back to, back to kind of the pre-ride experience, everybody's assigned a, uh, everybody's assigned a role, gunner, engineer, pilot. At that point, I mean, you, you go into the Millennium Falcon and you just wait until you're, uh, until you're called to ride and you can take pictures. Everything is insanely detailed. You can sit at the chess table, you can press buttons when you get into the cockpit, I mean, it, it looks just like the movie. Every switch, every button, everything that you see in the movies is is there. Yeah, I think one thing to, to note on the pre-show, there are obviously multiple Millennium Falcons. You know, it's not just one. You know what I mean? There's multiple... Uh, There's multiple simulators, yeah, but everybody is in that one area together. Well, actually, I think... I could be wrong. I think they, they do kind of split you off. There's multiple waiting areas. There are a couple of waiting areas. You're right. So so You're right. someone that I that I read about said he went to different different waiting areas and totally identical. And, and, you're, and you're interactive right. too. There are things that may move or talk or make noise around you if you if you engage them. So be cognizant of your your surroundings in there. So this to me looks fun. It looks amazing. The I think the general consensus is that this is a good ride. But I think a lot of people went into this like you did, thinking, hey, this is the headlining attraction here. We're going to fly the Millennium Falcon. And I think they've been a little bit disappointed that it's not more than it is. But it, but I think that Rise of the Resistance is really going to be the, the big dog here. And I don't think people understood that. And I think that's why there's been a little bit of disappointment expressed with yeah. this ride. But I think, like I mentioned... The Millennium Falcon is going to be able to hold its weight in this battle because it's the Millennium Falcon. And while it, it's it's certainly, I mean, I'll put it. I mean, it, I mean, I'll say this: Flight of Passage is the best simulator I've ever been on in my life. And if if Disney captured that same technology, this is going to do just fine. But the the almost scary thing is if this is going to be as good as it appears to be, even though there is some disappointment from the maybe the overhype. I cannot imagine Rise of Resistance. Again, any anything else on that? We're not going to get into what goes on in the ride. You guys can watch a video if you want. Or just wait till you ride it uh, in September at, at Disney World, or or when you got you get out to Disneyland. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think we'll continue to have updates of what what happens at Galaxy's Edge, and as uh, more dates become clear, especially on Rise of Resistance opening, we'll certainly report it. But we're not a spoiler podcast, so we do the best we can to give you the information that's out there without spoiling your experience. And so, if you want more, Pete nailed it. Go YouTube has plenty of stuff up. Disney lifted the media a ban as far as uh, video content being released, so YouTube is is stock full of uh, of point of of ride POVs. Of you can do walk you can do walkthroughs of Galaxy's Edge. You can see all the lightsaber building process, the jewelry building process. If you're into that kind of thing, and we kind of have to be being being that we do a podcast, you know, YouTube YouTube's your friend here. All right. Well, anything else on Galaxy's Edge? Hopefully, we have given you guys enough information to be excited about. Yeah. No, I'm good. I mean, honestly, it's just excitement, like, reaching the roof at this point. All right. Well, Tom, secret Twitter question for the week? Yeah. So, in light of our episode topic, we're going to try and stay in the Star Wars theme, even though it's not... I can't wait till we have... Uh, wait till it opens at Disney World. I don't know what I'm going to do then, but... Uh, secret of the night. Did you know Star Tours is actually one of the longer attractions at Disney World? The vast majority of Walt Disney World's attractions fall between the one to three minute time frame. Well... Star Tours is actually four and a half minutes, which gives you a great taste of a few of the worlds and scenes within the Star Wars universe and the classic Star Wars sagas. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. As, as much love as or lack there of love that Star Tours gets, it, it probably is one of your better bang for your buck items as far as if you're going to wait in line, you do get a little bit longer of a ride experience. Moving to the trivia question of last week, and then I'll hit this week's uh, last week's trivia question. In Cranium Command, formerly in Epcot, what was the name of the young boy whose brain was being piloted by Buzzy? Of course, the name was Bobby. I know during the recording, Matt was thinking Buzzy, and he had the B correct, but he did not have the full name. Yeah, so Bobby is Bobby is the young boy uh, whose brain you all are helped piloting through his crazy day. Uh, going to the trivia question of this week, of course, you can tweet us at Mendo WDW Podcast or email us at Mendo WDW at gmail.com with your answer. What year did Star Tours open at Disney World? 
That is very important because there is a Star Tours at Disneyland. I'll give you a hint. The Disneyland would open first. Well, and, and let's be original Star Tours, right? Correct. Because, yes. So what year did the original Star Tours open at Disney World? Of course, as I mentioned, you can tweet us at WDW podcast or email us at WDW at gmail.com with your guess. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this week. Please tune in next week for some more Disney magic. Look for us on the Twitter at WDW podcast. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments, please tweet us or email us at WDW at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really does help us out. Thank you so much for listening and giving us the most valuable thing you have, your time. We'll see you next week.